our founders was thinking about blockchain is about is the base of blockchain is distributed ledger sharing information. So without co collaboration, there's not a lot of value. So from the very beginning, we've been working and we looked at, you know, the most difficult uh, area of, of blockchain is, is for financial services, right? That's the most restricted. There's the most regulations. Um, if you can build something that, that the regulators can approve, then everything else probably is going to be pretty easy. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with a person who is not afraid to challenge the status quo, build lasting cross-border relationships, and stimulate innovative thinking. He has spent more than 30 years working in China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, making a difference in the cash management, institutional banking, financial supply chain, and distributed ledger technology sectors. During his time in Asia, he has held managing director and executive vice president roles at prominent banks such as Bank of Boston, Standard Chartered Bank Taiwan, Deutsche Bank in China. He has an interest in financial technology, which led to a role as chief representative of technology at TradeCard in China, which is now known as GT Nexus. And since 2016, is the managing director and head of APEC at R3. R3 is a game changer and world leader in blockchain digital technology, creating the Corda Enterprise Platform, which growing global ecosystem comprises over 200 companies and regulators on six continents, making it the largest collaboration of its kind in blockchain space. Growing up in the USA, he completed a Bachelor of Science and Masters of Science in Chinese Language and Chinese History at Georgetown University. He has also completed an executive study program in international management at INSEED. Our guest has held board director roles at Taipei American School, Orbis Taiwan, and American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. He has used his experience and expertise to create, invest, advise, and mentor a number of startup businesses such as Liquise, China Accelerator, and Viterati. He's an avid cyclist, supporter of his children who have lots of talent, and enjoys lecturing and speaking on cash management, financial supply and chain management, fintech, and R&B internationalization. I'm excited to introduce you to a focused, determined, and active leader, Carl Wigner. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, Craig, and, and thanks for that great introduction. Um, I, I didn't know I'd done that much. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's great to have you on the Active CEO podcast. We first met in Taiwan back in, I think, 2004, and have enjoyed many great stories, laughs, and insights on the beautiful hills of Yangmenshan and north coast of Taiwan, which we'll talk a little bit about later in the show. You've had a long career in the financial sector in Asia. What was the spark that lit the flame to first study Chinese at Georgetown University and then make the move to Asia? Uh, Craig, that's that's a question I get asked a lot. And, and again, moving into financial services wasn't my original reason to study Chinese. I just, my father was a, was a professor, got interested in Chinese language and, and got me interested in Chinese at a, at a very, very early age. Actually, I started studying 
just sort of a, a Saturday morning course when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. Um, so really got interested in the, in the language and the culture at the beginning. And then when I decided to uh, apply to colleges, I, I thought, um, you know, who would be crazy enough to be a Chinese major? Um, maybe that'll get me into a, a better college than I would normally get into. So I, I applied, a, and there's only a few colleges that had Chinese majors back then, and one was, uh, one was Georgetown. So uh, I managed to get in the, uh, the program at Georgetown. Yeah, and because I mean, I, you know, back in that time, a lot of people were studying French or Italian or German, maybe Latin. So Chinese wasn't really one of those, you know, popular languages. So I'm not surprised to hear that it was a really difficult to find somewhere to study. Well, and and also, and that also sort of set up me coming to to Asia because I, I actually came first junior abroad to study Chinese. Now that's always the best way to study a language is, you know, be in the environment and 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 meet people and meet friends. But I, I came originally as a junior uh, to to a to Taiwan to study Chinese, and then when I graduated, like you said, Chinese wasn't that um, popular, and I graduated in in '85, and I went to look for a job and and couldn't find one because everyone said, "Why would you learn Chinese? Japanese is the language of the future, right?" That's when Japan was everyone was looking at Japan to be the the world leader, and literally couldn't find a job in in, in the state, so. Uh, decided to, to go back to Taiwan and, and, uh, and try my luck. And, and that's why I came back to Asia again a few years after graduation. And, and you've now been in Asia for you know, um, 30 years. And, and it's made, you know, it's where you've made your home, you've got your beautiful wife there, Anne, and, and raised two beautiful children. So what is it about Taiwan and Asia that has, you have really connected with that, you, that makes you enjoy living there so much? Well, I mean, being in, in Asia as a, as a place for, um, you know, my, my career's all been in Asia, and it's what I know, and, and that's what my experience is. And, and the longer you're, you're doing something, the better you get at it and the more opportunities you have. So um, I really came out to Asia first just to, to leverage my, my Chinese. I wanted to, uh, to, 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 use, to use Chinese every day. Um, I fell into banking sort of by accident. Um, I was uh, working at an import-export company. Um, doing trade finance from the import and export uh, agent perspective and, uh, and, and saw an ad for uh, a bank, Bank of Boston. They said they wanted someone who spoke Chinese, who liked travel and knew something about trade. So I said, well, let me try it. And, uh, and that's how I started my banking career, sort of by accident, really. I mean, I, I, being a Chinese major was, was uh, one of the advantages of being a Chinese major was I didn't have to concentrate too much on math. And I always pretty much avoided it during my, my high school career, but uh, discovered that actually math wasn't that hard. And, and as a banker, um, I, I could pick it up. So that's, I mean, sort of how I ended up into, into, into the banking career um, as well from, 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 uh, from not thinking that, that math was going to be uh, a, a future tool that I would need to use. Yeah, definitely. And so obviously being based in Hong Kong with the Bank of Boston was I suppose a great introduction into Asia. You, it was under British rule at that time. And so that allowed you to, I suppose, easily integrate into society. Yeah, no, I, didn't. I think it was, it was a very interesting time for to be in Hong Kong. I was there, and again, my first career started first in, in Taiwan, then I went to Hong Kong. I was there 91 to 97. And actually I was supposed to leave and move back to Taiwan in May of 97, but I purposely extended my uh, stay to be to go past July 1st, which is the handover to China, right? A momentous occasion 
Um, we were all excited to to see what was going to go on, and and I think our our plans, you know, my my friends and I, our plans were to go and and go to the border and watch the PLA come over the border and and see the handover to of, of British rule to to Chinese rule, and actually, as anyone who was there remembers, it was a torrential rain for those two or three days there. And everyone stayed in and watched it on TV, so we didn't really have to be anywhere. Um, I think we I stayed at my uh, I was at my my boss's house, and we had a view that night of the um, of uh, Lord Patton leaving on his boat. We could see with the binoculars from 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 the peak, looking at the boat. But most of us watched on TV. But uh, very interesting time to be in, in in Hong Kong and see that that move from uh, from British rule to the worry about um, in the ninety five worry about. Chinese taking it over was going to be dangerous, and then people coming back and seeing, you know, let, let's see where the opportunities are going to be with China. And obviously, you know, China has helped Hong Kong uh, continue to to d- develop, and 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 be a even a closer link to China. So when you took on when you moved from Hong Kong and you took on your roles at Standard Charter and Deutsche Bank, how did the different company cultures and leadership styles change as you went from country to country, and and obviously. Um, different companies, you know, different banks. Well, I mean, I think the 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 one thing that was easier for me is I continued to do a similar role in transaction banking. So, um, and 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 that's probably similar among different banks. I think uh, the uh, the job is about the same, but you're right, the culture is different. Whether working at a a British uh, a British bank or or a German bank, um, I think. Um, each one has sort of a, a different focus, um, you know, work with um, different kinds of people, but they're both international. And so it's you're working with with uh, Americans, you're working with British, you're working with Germans, you're working with locals from the different countries. And and over the 30 years, you know, they've been out here, you know, before most of the management was expats and, and now most of the management is local. Right. So that change has also happened. Right. There's there's less and less need for uh, expats for, for a lot of jobs. The locals are well qualified, have had international experience um, and can and also have that, you know, as being natives or, or being local also know the market that much better. So, you know, I've also seen the transition from uh, a lot of jobs where expats had to come in, work for three years and move out and never really understood the culture. To, to now um, a lot of um, a lot of the senior positions are, are done by locals and, uh, and and manage very well and and again me being out of here for for 30 years now I mean it, I am sort of a, a semi-local I'm not going to say a local yet but but a semi-local and and uh, you know that's uh, I can bring my my years of experience and and also that cross-cultural piece as well yes yeah, so obviously both local people and expatriates seem to cope quite well with that rapid change. And as you say, it's, it's sort of transitioned more back to the locals who now have that globalization um, outlook and understanding and able to take on those leadership roles. Is, what is the role of an expat really in Asia now? Is, is it still in demand or is, is it something that is less, you know, it's not required as often? Definitely not required as often in, in more developed countries. Right. So in, in, in Asia, there's still probably a, a, a strong demand for expats in, in some of the more developing countries. Um, China is a developing and a, and a modern country. 
So there's uh, a massive demand for, for expats in, in, in China. Um, but the sort of that traditional expat that uh, didn't learn the language and, and just came in and flew in for, you know, for a couple of years and left, there's less demand for that too. There's, there's really expats now have to be more international. Um, they have to, and sometimes it's through training. Sometimes it's just through experience that they, they have to be more integrated with the local culture because just, just sitting there and, and thinking that you have the best solution because you've come from a OECD country doesn't work anymore because there's a lot of uh, economies that are, are very strong that are, that are doing very well. And, and, um, you know, they have their nuances and, and both sides have to learn from each other. Yeah, as we've had the global financial crisis, you've kind of, you, you've seen a lot of the Asian countries stay quite stable in their markets relative to what we've seen happen in Europe and uh, in the Americas and, and obviously in Asia Pacific as well. Yeah, no, and, but, and part of that was because they were closed, right? Part of that, they, they weren't open to that global market. Um, and so it made it easier for them to control and, and, uh, and manage things. At the same point, they are moving to be more global. They want to become more global um, and, and take advantage of the global market. So they're, they're also having to learn how to manage the uh, influences from uh, you know, the, any, any sort of uh, global, you know, the global influences. So you know, any, any, the, the stock market goes down in, in, in the U.S., Wall Street drops it affects everyone, right? In, in the global economy, um, the the trade war is going on uh, right now. Um, you know, disputes between China and, and and U.S. obviously affects not just those two countries, but everyone who trades with them. Hmm. So, so, what elements elements of the business and country culture that you've experienced in Asia do you think that the Western world would benefit from incorporating into the way they do things? Well, it, it's interesting that there's the the first thing is just understanding the culture. And, and I guess the, the first way is when you're listening, when you're listening to a, a, a deal or you, when you're listening to someone speak, you know, try not to ring fence them using your preconceived notions about how things should be, right? Be as open-minded as possible. So someone says, this is the way we do things. You say, well, that's not, you say that's not right. Well, maybe that's the way they've been doing things for a long time, for hundreds of years, and maybe that's part of their culture. And and uh, I mean, I have a, a colleague of mine um, from 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 South Africa, and and uh, you know, he says, you know, these some sometimes facilitation payments have been around for hundreds of years, right? We can't say now that they're wrong. That's just the way business is done, and and. Uh, you know, we have to look at from from more open perspective. We don't feel that's correct in the OECD countries. That's considered, uh, you know, bribery or something like that. Okay, that's that's true, but we also have to look how things are done in a culture and for a long time. So I think we really have to look at things with with open-minded perspective. Of um, we've built our economies in certain ways, other economies have built in 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 other ways, and I think that the key thing is to understand the differences. And, and try not to judge them. And I think that's the, the, the real goal of, a, of an expat or international business person to, to, to try to manage that balance. And it's becoming obviously more important now that we're seeing a lot more diversified work forces. 
Are we seeing more of that globalization occurring? Yes, no, and, and more and more, right? And, and so everyone is, is, is influenced by, by everyone else. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's a, it's a great thing. It's a great opportunity to learn. Um, and I think that's one of the, the things that, uh, you know, travel, travel allows people to, to, to learn and, and about new cultures. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great way. Any, anyone who's got a chance to, to have an assignment overseas, you know, should, should definitely take it. Right, because that's going to give you an, an, an opportunity to see things from a different perspective than just just head office as well. Oh, I know how valuable that's been for my career, you know, living in five countries and that definitely seeing things from a different perspective. And I, you know, the, the best advice I got given when I come to Asia was you have to forget everything that you did where you came from and just be totally open and just run with it and learn as you go and, and enjoy it, have fun with it. And I think that's, you know, I've yeah. learned so much from that. And now my, the way I think about things and, and the, the different perspectives I come at, I think I'm just hugely uh, more open-minded than I was. Yeah, you can sort of see it. I mean, you have, and, and you can look at it if you're, if you're in a developing country, you can look at it sort of two ways. You can look at it negatively. Everything is hard to do, right? Everything is a little bit dirtier. Everything is a little bit, you know, the, the traffic is, is, is not as, uh, as smooth. Um, you know, food products are, are not as varied. So you don't have as much choice of food. You can, you can look at things as, as everything is negative because it's not like it is at home, or you can look at a thing in a positive way. If everything is difficult, everything is a little challenge and everything you do is a little victory. The fact that you managed to get fresh vegetables or whatever it is today, you shouldn't think, why was that so hard? That's terrible. You're like, I succeeded. I got it. Yeah. I spoke enough local language to get something, right? So you can look at every little challenge as a victory and, and every day is an, an adventure. Or you can look on the negative side and say, why is it so difficult, right? And I think that's the, the when, I, when I talk to folks about, you know, how to, how to enjoy being in, in, in challenging countries, challenging situations, right? How, how do you put a positive spin on it? So talking about challenges and, you know, sort of taking on innovative things, you, you know, blockchain is a hot topic around the globe as businesses look for that next competitive advantage in the way we create supply chains, exchange goods and services and become more efficient in the way we work. So what caught your attention at R3 and what sets it apart from other players in the blockchain technology industry? Yeah, well, blockchain is, is, is a real interesting uh, opportunity um, uh, this is sort of the second time I've, I've left banking to go, uh, go into new technology. I left banking once during the dot-com, you know, dot-com revolution, whatever it was, uh, the dot-com boom in 2000, I left and, and went to work for a startup at that point, then went back to banking and here really blockchain is, is in, it's almost like the internet once again, right? How much it's going to change our lives, how businesses work with each other. It's really sort of like um, uh, the, the internet in like 1996, 97, right? You had, you had email and that was an amazing tool, but you never thought that Uber would come out of the internet, right? Um, you know, all these other services that we think are ubiquitous, they think are just normal. The young kids think it's, it's of, of course you have, you, you never have to look at a map. Of course you have GPS. I mean, all this new technology has come, come along 
Um, and, and blockchain has a lot of that same potential. It's not a solution for everything, um, but it's, a, it's an opportunity for businesses um, to work together in a, a, in, a, in a closer fashion so they can share data in a, in a, in a different way, um, be more efficient. And uh, again, a lot of these um, uh, Gartner and, and a lot of these groups talking about, um, you know, how much business will be on, on blockchain. I think by 2025, one, uh, one study was 10% of, of the value of world's goods will be processed, you know, on blockchain platforms. So, um, you know, it's going to affect everyone in the next three, five, 10 years. And, and it's really interesting to be in a, in, in a company uh, like R3 where, you know, we're at the cutting edge of it. Yeah, so you have a very innovative model, model for generating funding. Uh, you've also forged a number of pivotal strategic alliances that led to revenue growth and market penetration. Can you explain how the R3 has approached raising the necessary capital to allow advanced R&D and development of the quarter platform? Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a really sort of a unique way of, of, of doing it. And it really goes to our, our founder when he started, our, our founders was thinking about blockchain is about is, is the base of blockchain is distributed ledger sharing information. So without ca collaboration, there's not a lot of value. So from the very beginning, we've been working and we looked at, you know, the most difficult uh, area of, of blockchain is, is for financial services, right? That's the most restricted. There's the most regulations. Um, if you can build something that that the regulators can approve, then everything else probably is going to be pretty easy. So we went for the hardest target first, got together a group of banks, and now we have um, about 120 banks and regulators, our members on the platform, um, working together and, and collaborating to learn about blockchain technology. And what we did uh, early on was um, we went to our members, um, and now we have 40-some banks who are our members already. So we'd work with them for a year, year and a half and ask them, would you want to invest in us? And it's a, a, a great um, confirmation of, of their trust in us that, you know, uh, over 50%, I know exact number, over 50% of them, um, of our members at that time decided to invest in us. And, um, uh, and, and so therefore they're investing in, in us, in this technology and, for a lot of our services that uh, technology companies are building on our platform, um, they're the end buyers. So they've invested in, in, in Corda and they're gonna buy products built on Corda in the future. So it's a, it's a nice virtuous circle that, um, and again, it started out from our, our founders thinking in the beginning, A, this has to be a collaboration, has to be a consortium. From the very beginning, about a third of our, our members were almost prescribed from Asia, Europe, and the US. So we've always tried to be international. Um, and that also makes it more acceptable for the global financial community to, to accept. It's not just one bank, it's not just one country trying to influence this. This is a, is a global collaboration. Definitely taken on a big challenge. So for the listeners who probably don't quite grasp what digital legitimate technology is and and kind of the power of quarter. Do you have an example that you could share that would allow people to make you know understand a little bit easier? I guess a, a simple way is is uh, if you and I were were doing business together, 
and you sold me $50 of, 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 uh, of vegetables, right? On your Excel spreadsheet and my Excel spreadsheet, we'd actually have two sides of the same transaction, Yes. right? You've shipped me the vegetables and I owe you $50. Now, our accounting departments right now have to verify that yes, did we receive the vegetables? Do I really owe him $50? Did I ship the vegetable, et cetera, right? So there's two sets of the same information. What distributed ledger technology allows is basically those Excel spreadsheets to overlap. So where we do transactions together, we can share that data. And if we share that data, there's no need for reconciliation because we're looking at our own database, right? So this is, it's a lot of this, this blockchain, it's not new technology, it's, it's older technology used in a different way. Hmm. But now putting it on a cloud or on a system, if we can share data together, it makes both of us more efficient. A, there's a smaller database because we mutualize the cost of the database, but we mutualize a lot of the processing. And so we can share processing, we share data, um, and it's a lot more efficient. So just something like that, where we can do business more efficiently instead of having two accounting departments spending days to reconcile. We're all looking. What I see is you see, and that's the truth. So we see things together. I can see a lot of accountants rubbing their hands and a few others going, oh, will I have a job in the future? So yeah, no, it's, 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 it's gonna, it's, but there's new opportunities coming out of it as well. Right. And so we're seeing, we're already thinking ahead about some of the new job opportunities are going to be coming out, managing your own data, right? Maybe it's, maybe you don't have your, your data all sitting, your, your browser data all sitting with Amazon. Maybe we call it self-sovereign identity. Maybe you control the, the data, your browsing history, and you can sell it to Amazon or, or, or eBay, whatever, wherever you want to, to use your, um, uh, you, they need your data. They want your data. Um, maybe you can manage in the future yourself. So that's a, that's a whole nother self-sovereign identity. Your, your identity broker could be a new job. So there's, there's a lot of things. And again, a lot of, we haven't, we haven't figured out yet, right? There's a lot of new opportunities that are, are going to be around the horizon. And, uh, you know, we hadn't, uh, just like in the internet, you know, took, took about 20 years for the internet to really come to the point where it is now we're looking at, at uh, blockchain, maybe about 10 years to, to get to those Uber type moments. Yeah. So every problem is always many opportunities, isn't there? So I suppose what, what is the major security and legal puzzles that blockchain technology are facing and having to now overcome? I mean, that, that's, that's a real great question. That's why actually from the very beginning, we started working with the regulators. We also have a, we work with a lot of, we have a legal center of excellence. We work with a lot of lawyers because this is, you know, code is, you know, written by someone and you're going to have to make sure that code is correct. But code doesn't really, in our position, code doesn't really replace laws, right? Laws are still there and someone is going to have to make a decision on, you know, was that uh, that smart contract written properly? Was, uh, you know, how do you unwind things? How do you litigate things? So those aren't going to go away. So we work with a lot of regulators to help them understand um, how, the central banks, you know, how they're going to have to change their rules, um, how they're going to have to adapt their rules to facilitate this new technology. Just like they had, you know, it, they rules had to change for regulators when they had to accept faxes were real data, right? Emails are real data, right? So 
this is a this is again a, a paradigm shift in, in how data is shared, and uh, we work a lot with the regulators to to help them understand. Um, and uh, when we do projects with the regulators, it's almost thirty percent technology, seventy percent research, um, and and uh, the legal firms as well. They're going to have to learn on, on how to support this. So it it, it is a journey, um, but it's quite interesting because it's it's merging compliance and technology in in a way that hasn't been done before fascinating so just going moving into a new track now so you've spent a lot of time in recent years investing advising and mentoring in the startup space what draws you to supporting and helping creative ideas get off the ground it's so much fun to be able to 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 share your knowledge and and um give advice and and i do a lot of this mentoring you know whether it's blockchain or or, or other ventures and I, I try to sort of say I'm, I'm i can be very negative on on a company that pitches an idea sometimes and i'm saying i'm not a negative guy i'm a very positive guy i'm trying to find the, the good part in it but i've done this long enough to see that here's a gap here's something you haven't thought about and just because you have incredible energy doesn't necessarily mean it makes sense Right, you have to think practically. Where is and and I saw this in the dot com boom. Um, I went to a company that actually had a business model and it survived. A lot of my friends went to ones that said, "Oh, it's okay. We won't make money, but we'll make it up on volume." Well, no, you don't. Right, you still need to have a way to make money. Um, and and here in the blockchain space, it's also, "Oh, we're going to put it on blockchain. Why? Well, because we're going to make it on blockchain and people will like it." Is there a real reason? Blockchain is a tool. Technology is a tool. And so sometimes it's, and again, I'm, I'm not a technologist, but I can sort of, in, in, in a, a general foundation, make, make some comments. But uh, being able to work with, with young folks, they have all this energy um, and have these great ideas and, and help them adapt them, um, sometimes throw, throw it back and, and come back again. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and uh, again, you get new insights on things as well. And it, and it makes you think about your existing business in different ways. So how would those that you are working with in the startup space and also those team members that you're working with, say, in R3, describe your leadership style? Uh, that's a good question. I guess um, I'm, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty down to earth, pretty collaborative. Um, it's always, you know dangerous to ask someone what other people think of you, right? Um, you should ask someone else. But, um, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, I like getting my, my hands dirty. Um, I'm, I'm not going to pretend something I'm not. And if I don't understand something, I'm always happy to have someone teach me, right? There's an there's a old Chinese saying, if, if three people are walking together, one of, them, one of them should be my teacher, right? You can learn from anyone, right? And whatever age they are, whatever background they have there's always something to learn um and uh and and that's why i enjoy working with 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 folks and you know i think anytime i work with with anyone we're all learning together it's a great approach so you're an avid cyclist what attracts you to the sport of cycling and why is taiwan such a phenomenal place for cycling of course that's something we could talk about for multiple hours i'm <laughs> sure um mostly on a bike sitting next to each other going up a hill I mean, no, cycling is, is uh, started cycling about 10, 10, 12 years ago. Um, again, I cycled when I was a kid and stuff, but uh, in Taiwan, and Taiwan is an, is an amazing 
place for cycling. You have from my 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 uh, my house here in half an hour, I can be on on the river or on the top of a, a 1200 meter mountain and right near my backyard. Um, you know, Taiwan is, is not a lot of flat cycling. That's for sure. It's a lot of hills, mountains. Um, uh, and the drivers are generally used to motorcycles because, again, over the last 20 years, Taiwan has moved from mostly motorcycles to mostly cars. So I think Taiwan, in, in, in some ways, it's, it's um, they're used to seeing two wheeled vehicles. Um, and, and as well, <clears throat> Taiwan and, and the government has spent a lot of money um, building tremendous amount of bike lanes and bike paths um, all over the city. And, and actually, there's a there's sort of a rite of passage for people to ride around the island. Right. It's about uh, a thousand kilometers around the island and they have designated bike lanes. Every police station on that on that uh, on that uh, the, the road there has a um, they in, in every police station. They have water. They have tools. They have a pump. Right. To help uh, to help you um, as if you, if you need a breakdown or something like that. So, again, Taiwan has made it very um, uh, friendly for cycling, um, probably because some of the biggest cycling uh, manufacturers are, are based out of Taiwan. Um, and uh, no, it's a great place to, to, to cycle. And we can cycle all year round. Right. It doesn't get that cold here. So it's not like in, in, in the U.S. where in the East Coast where you have to sort of shut down and, and, and cycle indoors. We can really cycle all year round, even though it rains in the winter you can still get out there and cycle. And I think that's what I learned from you. You were saying, if it rains, if it rains, you can still get out there. I used to say, oh, I'm going to stay in dry, but uh, you got to be ready for, for if you're, if you're racing, you got to be ready for when it's wet too. So you got to learn how to cycle when it's wet as well as when it's dry. Yeah, it's look good. I still think it's my favorite place in the world for cycling. And it's, it's got so many options, so many opportunities. The roads are amazing. And, and it's just been phenomenal to see you know, since I first arrived there in 2004 and, and going back this year to to see the growth of people out cycling or running or getting fit. So there's been a real, there's been a massive sort of health and fitness boom over the last decade or, you know, decade, decade and a half, which is, which is awesome to see. It's, it's quite uh, inspiring when you're there and you feel really pumped up and motivated every day. Yeah, I mean, they, they built, they got really smart. They built a lot of parks along the rivers, which used to be, flood a lot so they've corrected the flooding and they built along of these these parks along the rivers that have you know basketball courts and soccer fields and and but all these amazing bike paths right so you can get almost anywhere on a bike path and and uh yeah you see a lot of people and they have the the um the rental bikes as well right you can rent a, at at the uh subway stations and things like that but yeah you see everyone especially on those those u bikes it's, it's the the local biking system um and whenever i see someone on those u bikes the anywhere they're riding short a little bit longer and the bikes are not that great they're sort of clunky because you know they have to be you know safe and and uh and can't break down but everyone is cycling around there's a smile on their face right yeah. everyone you're cycling everyone's always happy right and you see more and more people on the street anywhere you look there's someone cycling and that's it's, it's a great thing to see so the active healthy lifestyle is that something that is part of the culture at r3 where you work yeah, I think so. I think so. Our, our, our CEO is, is uh, and the, the top team are, are, are quite active. Um, I know in, in the bigger offices, they, they, they do runs together and, and uh, you know, some community runs and things like that. But uh, I think it's, it's a lot of it's, a, again, individuals. We're, we're all spread around the world. We're only about a 
180 person company spread around the world. So um, a, a lot of us only meet each other when we're traveling. Um, and then we try to do things together. And, and very often we see each other in the gym in the mornings, that's for sure. Yes, you're talking about traveling. I think you, you mentioned earlier bef before we came on the call was you've traveled upwards of quarter million miles this year. So that's a lot of traveling and a lot of time spent in hotels and in new environments. So how do you keep track if, uh, keep your fitness and health on track? Yeah, no, that's a real, real challenge, right? Because especially if you do arrive real late at night and, and the next morning, you know, you, you want to get some sleep and it's that balance, right? Sometimes you need to sleep. Sometimes you need rest. Um, but sometimes you got to pull yourself up and, and go to the gym. I mean, I try to exercise, you know, every other day or so, whether I'm on the road or not. Um, and usually it's, maybe it's going to the gym. If I'm, if I'm in a city where I know someone, I may try to borrow a bike and, and go for a bike ride or, um, and again, going for a bike ride or going for a run in the city is the greatest way to, to see more of the area around your hotel, right. And, and see more than just what you see. So, and it's a great way to, 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 to see cities, um, you know, meet people, you get out there early in the morning. Um, but, uh, it's sometimes hard with it, with the travel and a lot of flights. Um, and I think the, you have to balance, you know, sleeping, exercising. And the one thing, especially with all the flying I do is drinking a lot of water, right? You got to keep hydrated no matter, especially on those planes for, for long flights. Um, you know, being hydrated is, is, is something I, I constantly have to remind myself. Have you got much self-control with the breakfast buffet? Yeah, not, not, uh, over the years I've gotten better, right? It was always, when I, when I first was, was in Asia and ate mostly Asian food at home and get out the, the hotel with a breakfast buffet, this is amazing, right? And, you know, eggs and bacon and hash browns and everything. And, and nowadays I, I, I skip, skip it quite often and maybe just get a little fruit or even just sometimes, um, you know, skip breakfast and do a little uh, mini fast for, for part of the day. So we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people have great questions. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? Last time I did something for the first time. Um, oh, it's, it's almost every, not every day, but, but uh, right now as a management team, we've decided that uh, we have to, uh, again, uh, you know, put our money where our mouth is. And actually we've committed as a, a management team and now I'll say it on, on the air, so we'll have to really get this done, <laughs> is we're all gonna learn how to code. So we're all going to learn how to coding and build a Cord app on our on our Corda system. So that'll be something completely new. Last time I did a little programming was probably 1988 and on, on, on DBase4. So we're going to have to learn Java and and learn coding. So um, again, a little bit scary, but uh, but but also invigorating, right? Doing something completely new that uh, definitely out of your comfort zone. There's nothing nothing better or yeah, as you say, invigorating the being out of your comfort zone and, and testing your boundaries and your ability. So I look forward to seeing how your team does on that one. So what is the one question that probably sits in your mind quite often or comes back to you that you would love to solve? Uh, I'd love to solve. Um, that's, a, that's a, of course, a, a really tough question. What does it solve? Um, I'd love to, 
I guess I mean the the, the real challenge, and and I think is is as a as a as a business person is 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 managing you know, and it's very cliche the work life balance, right? How do you manage to 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 spend enough time with your family, um, you know, with yourself, exercising, um, and 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 also getting you know getting the job done. Um, and I think um, I don't know how to solve that. But I think that's one of the, the, the greatest challenges is, you know, how to manage 24 hours in a day to the best benefit of yourselves and the people around you. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, anyone, especially if you're, you're traveling a lot or, uh, again, a high pressure job is, you know, what's the best balance? And, and that may change over time as your kids get younger and, you know, younger to get older. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, how do you balance your time? And I think that's a, that's a challenge I'm constantly trying to, 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 to solve. And, and I don't think there's a, uh, an answer for it, but uh, maybe just strategies. Very good. And who has made the greatest impact on your career and why? I've been really lucky. And this is also why I like to, to, to mentor folks. I've been really lucky over my career to have some really good mentors, um, people that when I first started in banking, someone who was the most best salesperson in the world spent a lot of time to teach me on sales. Um, you know, I've had uh, very motivational bosses, um, you know, over the years, um, and and I've learned a lot from them. Um, and I think um, I, one of the, one example is and, and from again a very motivational boss. He was, this was how many years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and he was, uh, he American lived out in Asia for five years. And he sort of said, I think I'm going to be moving back, you know, to, uh, to the States fairly soon. I've been to China, we've been to Beijing, but I've never been to the great wall. And so we, we, uh, we said, he says, let's take the afternoon off. Let's go see the great wall. And to be honest, I had lived in Beijing for about a year. I had never been there either. Right. I was working, working, working. You never do the tourist stuff. And so he says, let's go to the, spend the afternoon, go to the Great Wall. And on the time he's on the phone, and this is early times, you know, not a lot of people had mobile phones, talking on the mobile phone a lot as we're going there and, and negotiating something, I couldn't really understand it. And we got to the top, we, we got to the Great Wall. We took, you know, a quick walk. We weren't going to go very long, but got to the, uh, on top of the Great Wall. And he says, by the way, I wanted to give you this. And he gave me my promotion letter. Oh, wow. Right? And so he had been planning that, said he wanted to make sure he said, I want you to remember this always. Now you're a managing director. Right. And uh, what a great way of making it memorable. He went through the time. He went through the effort to do that. And, and you know, examples like that, you know, make you want to do the same for the people who work for you. No, oh, it's like giving, you know, you know, giving forward, right. Isn't it? It's uh very inspiring for the person who's receiving and it's a huge amount of confidence for you as well, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I've, I've been, I've been lucky. And I think lucky having mentors. And I think also, again, that sort of that saying, you can always find something to learn from everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, how to, how to learn from, from if they're your boss, if, if they're a senior, there's probably something you can learn from them, right? Open your mind. And, uh, and, uh, there's, um, you know, take what you can from them. And I think that's a, that's also something that, that uh, everyone should, should think about.
Um, whatever age you are, you always think you have it figured out. Let's be honest, right? When you're 20, you think you've got it all figured out and the old guys don't, don't get it, right? When you're 30, 40, 50, every, it's only maybe until maybe in your, 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 your 50s or 60s realize maybe these older folks actually have something because they're still around, right? But uh, as, as you're growing up, you always think you've got it figured out and actually, you know, people have been around for a little bit longer. There's always something you can learn from them. So, Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, giving us some really good insights into your life over the last 30 years in Asia, how you've coped in working in different industries, uh, you know, falling into the financial sector and seeing how that's evolved over time, you know, transitioning into new technologies with blockchain and all the, I suppose, challenges that come with that and how you're overcoming those. And I just love the ambition of, the company you work for, R3, it's like, let's find the toughest challenge and let's take that on because if we know we can do that, we, anything can be done. And I think that's really special. You obviously, you know, you ask that, that question around trying to find that balance in life, but it seems like you've got it pretty well sorted with your ability to get out and cycle and you're thinking about your health quite often. And, you know, obviously I've seen that firsthand with you and, and how you and your family live a really good lifestyle and, and a healthy fit and very balanced in the way you look at things. Uh, so I congratulate that for you. So thank you very much for sharing your, your wonderful insights, your, your wisdom and your, um, your story. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Craig. And yeah, it's, it, it's, it's been a pleasure and it's been fun, fun to chat. And uh, again, I really enjoy these podcasts. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing some more in the future as well. And hopefully this, is a, this also adds to the, uh, to the library. Thanks, Tom. Today's Active CEO Wellness Tip is about a fitness friend. We all know that at times motivation really struggles and the heavy scheduling and timelines, really tough gig. But let me tell you, if you've got a trusted friend, whether it's within the workplace, whether it's in the family environment or someone outside of that, um, and you schedule time with them, then, then that, that's that commitment to, to get out and actually do something. You don't wanna let them down, right? So if you've made a commitment to go for you know, a walk at six o'clock in the morning and you've committed to that, it's really hard for you to back down. You feel really guilty if you try and back out of it. So it's important to, to make that, get the, find that workout friend that really works with you. They, they're fun to be around. Um, you enjoy getting up each day or each time that you've scheduled in to go and work out with them um, and, and make sure that you stick to that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my other tip with this is with that friend, Try not to talk about work the whole time. You don't need to download your problems from the workplace environment. Move on to some family questions. Move on to what you're doing in the holidays. Change the tone of what's going on. Talk about a book you've just talk read. About a book, you know, yeah. The movie you've just been to, uh, what you dream of doing in the future. You know, like it, it's, it's just a really fun time to do that. And yep. to, so maybe if you're not sure who to ask, you may, you may want to write down a list of your friends who, who love to exercise and then mark down whether they are available to meet on a regular basis when you are and supportive of the goals and where you want to go. Yeah, and like it could be as simple as just putting the call out to your friends on a, a group text. Hey, I'm looking for somebody to walk with on Tuesday morning at 7.30, anybody free? And you'd be surprised who's gonna jump on. You've gotta love social media these yeah. days. It's a great place to doing it. Fantastic episode today talking with Carl Wegner uh, from R3, you know, a fantastic life growing up in America and deciding to, to go to Asia 
to learn Chinese and to evolve in that and study it even further. You know, it was the language of the future rather than Japanese, which a lot of people thought at that time. He first came, you know, he, he leveraged that opportunity with his Chinese and but fell into banking by accident. You know, something that's uh, a lot of things in life, you know, never that planned. And, you know, he extended his stay in Hong Kong, for instance, when the handover between British and Chinese rule. What a fantastic time in life when you get to see a country change the way it's been led. And obviously that has grown on and, and really developed the way that China and Hong Kong have expanded and the way they've developed their relationship. He talked a lot about blockchain technology and it being a tool, a tool for the future. And it's fascinating to see what R3 are doing in the space and the financial sectors where they're bringing together some of the world's greatest um, banks and largest banks who have all invested into this um, platform that's allowing them through quarter to speed up the way that transactions take place. So pretty amazing. You know, they didn't decide to start at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to blockchain. They went right to the top. Let's, let's go for the most biggest challenge and then we'll be able to work out all the other stuff much easier in the future. And so, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens over the next few years as quarter evolves and we start to see that instantaneous international bank transfer occur. You know, that power to have on the same database that both sides can see it without without any security risks. And so there's just one ledger. So that, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. That's a game changer. You know, that whole paradigm shift in the way that data is shared. So, you know, great, great insights into the way Carl leads his life. He, he obviously stays really active. He loves to cycle. And it's fascinating that uh, the, exec, the CEO and executive team of R3 are, are right into their health and wellness. And they tend to run a lot together. And obviously, you know, they're, they're spread out all around the world. But when they do come together, they try, there's a big challenge of keeping fit and getting into the gym and doing stuff together. This is the Active CEO Podcast where the ordinary don't belong. Join the active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.